0: Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Gillie Smith. It's a podcast that takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about life, culture and politics, all through the prism of food, even brownies. Because this week I'm with the editor of Waitrose magazine, Leah Hislop. whose latest book, The Brownie Diaries, is oozing with the kind of stories and recipes you'd expect from someone whose job it is to endlessly pull ideas out of the bag.
1: Uh, writing cookbooks and working on food magazines have a really nice intersection. Part of the challenge on food magazines and in cookbooks is it's always coming up with that new twist, that new thing that will
0: inspire people, yet be accessible. I started by asking her in the week, Jamie Oliver's cookbook challenge, hit our screens, what makes a really good cookbook? It's a big
1: question. What makes a great cookbook? I mean, I'm a journalist uh, by training. I didn't go to culinary school or anything like that. Um, I'm a home cook, really. Um, but I think what I am very interested in story. And I think what makes a good cookbook is essentially always story. It's always that hook. Um, and I haven't watched the programme yet. But I imagine that might be a problem with some of the the, the pitches, you know, I think they, they need to have something that you go, oh, that's a really whether that's someone's, you know, background, their family recipes, or whether it's just a good little, you know, something like salt fat acid heat, which just has that really good, you know, that good structure, that that good way of looking at food. And I think cut through the the noise because I don't know about you, but you know, social media, recipe websites, you know, we, we get we get food from so many angles now, constantly. We're deluged by it, and um, I think that's something that's quite nice about a cookbook. It's it's quite a discreet unit, isn't it? It's it's something you sit down with, and, and yeah, it's curated. Same with magazines, actually. You know, it's a. It's a, it's a it's a physical object limited by size and love and care has gone into each and every one of them, um, which sometimes you don't feel when you're looking at the vast, you know, when you type in lemon drizzle
0: cake into, into Google and get six million results. When you were pitching it to the publisher, or maybe you didn't even need to, maybe they came to you and asked mm. you to do one. What was the pitch? I
1: did pitch it. Um... And I pitched it actually because, funnily enough, there hadn't really been a good modern book on brownies, as far as I could see. Um, a couple of ones on, like, tray bakes, that kind of thing. But surprisingly, for something that I think has sort of become um, the way the cupcake was, I feel, in kind of, you know, the late 90s, the brownies is, is sort of everywhere. Um and they didn't feel like there was a particularly modern book about them. Not in the UK, at any rate. I suppose the, America has its own um, its own great brownie
0: tradition as they, they were the, the nation that invented yeah, it. It is very modern. I mean, did you at that time have you know, the brownie glass of stout? Did you have the cocktails one? Did you have the incredibly beautiful Instagrammable ones? I mean, of course you did. Is that how you pitched it? (laughs) I didn't have all of them, but I, so I, I, the the subtitle is, you know, um,
1: recipes for happy times, heartbreak and everything in between. So I pitched it really as um, brownies for every mood, really every moment. And that's how I thought they were for me, really. I, um, I've always loved baking. I've always really loved brownies, and when I sort of looked back at life, I could sort of see, ah, oh, yes, that was the brownie I made when I broke up with that person, <laughs> and I was very sad. And this was during my Oatleyngi phase when I got a bit, bit carried away. You know, it was full of sour cherries, and uh, <laughs> you know, um, and, and and I like that about a brownie that it's a blank canvas. Actually, you know, it's um, it's a it's it's chocolatey, of course, but you can do so much with it. You can take it in any which direction. You know, simple, fancy, and they're the kind of thing that you know. Um, Work. And I sound a bit like Bridget Jones's mother here saying you can wear this necklace to any occasion. Um, I was going to mention Bridget Jones. You did actually. Sound- I do sound like Bridget Jones. I often sound like Bridget Jones's mother. Um, well, you
0: sound like Bridget Jones, actually. And the book is very much Bridget Jones in many ways. You know, it's like, you know, I, I feel terrible. So. Let's eat cake or let's make cake. Yeah, exactly. Brownies it, solve many problems. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know,
1: it's something you can eat by yourself, or you can make it for a dinner party and, you know, fancy it up with some ice cream. You know, it's it, it's it's quite
0: democratic, it the brownies. It is, it is. And it's an interesting time to bring a book about brownies out. And you do call it the Brownie Diaries. It feels like we've all shared this kind of experience of a time in history. And this is what you did during your lockdown. I mean, you know, if, <laughs> yes. if a book is a sort of a test of the nation's mindset, what does your book say about how we're feeling is it that we need a treat or is it that we don't care anymore Or we're suddenly all bakers
1: yes i mean i think i i started writing that book i think the contract came through just before lockdown um and it was a very strange thing to be doing during lockdown because i mean in some ways quite good because i had nothing else to do at the weekends or the evenings um outside the day job um but I was also just making them in a vacuum. And that was very odd for me, because usually when you write a cookbook or, or you, you work in a magazine and develop recipes, you get feedback. You know, you work in a test kitchen where people try your recipes. The editor might wander down and say, oh, I don't really like that. Um, and even if it's just you at home, you would give them to, you know, your neighbours, you know, your, 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 your family. And um, there was none of that, really. You know, it was, so really, it was quite odd. I was sort of developing 50 plus recipes, for this thing in semi isolation. My husband and I did put on quite a lot of weight. I think the brownie stone is still um, a work in progress to shave
0: off. Well, everybody says the same things. Of course, there've been so many books that have come out since lockdown and everybody was finding it really hard to feed people. Claudia Roden famously, you know, had her whole family out in the garden on socially distanced tables, getting them to taste all the the recipes in med. I mean, everybody came up with lots and lots of different ways of doing it, but sending out boxes for people to try.
1: Yes, we did drop a few around neighbours. I mean, I think I left some outside the pub one day because I felt very sad for the (laughs) pub landlord and the landlady. So I thought, I'll just give them some brownies. Um, But it was odd doing it in a vacuum. I got to this point, I remember being like, is this what a brownie is meant to taste like? Because usually I'd be going to cafes and restaurants and, you know, trying different... uh, is that what it's meant to taste like? I can't even remember anymore what a brownie's meant to, you know, it was, it was quite, quite an odd little time looking back on it. I have to say, when
0: I finished it, I didn't want to eat one for a good um, a good few months. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because brownies, I would say, are absolutely for friendships. You know, my kids would bake oh, them yeah. at one o'clock in the morning with all their mates over for a sleepover. Um, I don't think I've ever made brownies on my own or for myself. They are always for other people, aren't they?
1: Yes, that's interesting, isn't it? I suppose the, it's the tray, nature of the tray bake, isn't it? It's, something, it's a big thing that you make and you slice up. They are a connective force, I think. Yeah. For sure. So
0: let's have a little look at the book. You do go into quite a lot of pub quiz trivia, which I really love about this. And actually, I do <laughs> have to write a pub quiz uh, for, for uh, about two months time. So I'm going to put a lot of your facts in here. Um, the history of the brownie, fantastic. Which of the stories that do you love best about where the brownie name came from. Mildred Brown, Shrimp, or the crack Catherine Hepburn story.
1: Oh, I love them all. I love them all. Um, I think my favourite one, actually, is probably the least likely one, which is um, there's <laughs> sort of this apocryphal story that there was this housewife in of Middle America in the whenever it was, and uh, she messed up her cake. She left out I don't know what it was, the flour or something, and it was a bit of a disappointment. But then she served it anyway. Oh, it was a massive hit. You know, it's it's that I love that story because there's a lot of foods like that. tatin's another one that was an accident. You know, um, there's there's lots of foods like that, wonderful foods in our history that were supposed supposedly invented by error. And I I like that because I think cooking is about learning a lot of the time, you know, when we're not all perfect. It
0: is. It's about the failed cake, isn't it? It's collapsed and cracked and oozing. Uh, I mean, that's the whole joy of it, isn't it? Yeah, and still delicious, crucially, you know, because you made it. But you do say that science makes better cakes and you say that you are not a scientist. I am not
1: a scientist, though I have learned an awful lot about um, brownie science in, in the writing of the book. You know, I can sort of tell you how much an egg weighs now, which uh, I didn't always <laughs> used to be able to do.
0: You're just basically teaching us how to make failed cakes, which which is absolutely fine by me.
1: <laughs> yes, you know, if you think about a Victoria sponge, because equal sugar, butter, you know, flour and the rest of it, a brownie, you always have much more sugar, much more butter, um, and not very much flour. So, the, the, you know, the proportions are all over the place and that that's why they're so sort of dense and fudgy. Yeah.
0: Tell us about your first food moment. It's the ultimate fudgy brownie. Yes. Um,
1: well, you know, obviously there's the great war in um, brownie circles, which is do you like cakey brownies or do you like fudgy brownies? Um, I think both are OK, by the way. I'm not one of those people who's going to slap you down because cause you like cakey. My husband likes cakey, which was very shocking to me, but... <laughs> You know, we got over it. Um, but yeah, this was the first one I developed. For me, this is the sort of the sort of perfect brownie um, sort of blueprint, really, in the book. Very high quantity of chocolate, obviously. Um, cocoa powder as well as chocolate. Cocoa powder is, is sort of a bit of a secret weapon, I think, in the brownie. It adds a kind of slightly different chocolatiness mm. to melted chocolate. Um, so any recipe that's got that in is is good if you like a really intense brownie. Um, It's got an extra egg yolk in it. I do that in some of my brownies. So as well as just the normal amount of eggs, I just add just one extra yolk and that gives you a bit more richness. Um, And yes, and then
0: baked for, you know, just about enough time that it stops completely wobbling, really. How do you get that papery crust that sets the brownie amateurs from the pros?
1: That's, That's an interesting little bit of science, actually. So the secret I, that I use is to um, beat the mixture, essentially, which is odd because a lot of recipes will tell you for brownies, don't add air, don't add air. Um, so you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of different opinions on these things. But if you if you beat the mixture, um, I mean, you can do this two ways. So you can either beat the eggs separately until they're lovely and frothy, and then whisk them in, or you can do what I do, which is I make the whole mix because I'm a bit lazy. I like to do it all in one pan, and then I put my electric beaters in and just give it a really good, you know um and it sort of creates this sort of like meringue like layer that sort of rises to the top um that so yeah that's my my top tip if you want that sort of papery crust is to to get the electric beaters out there are a
0: lot of top tips in this one i mean for people who do love making brownies i mean there are lots and lots of different ways to make brownies but there are also lots of there are um give us two more of your top tips oh two more of my top
1: tips um salt is is crucial um i think sometimes people feel a bit funny about putting salt in sweet stuff but you don't need a lot and it it doesn't make them taste salty really it just kind of rounds out all the flavors and and for chocolate i think salt and chocolate is an especially good thing it just makes the chocolate feel even more intense um so i would say salt is a, a really good one um Putting them in the fridge is the other one. Actually, not not everyone likes to do this, but especially if you you feel you've underbaked it a little bit. You know, when they're so fudgy, you can barely slice them, and they're just they're just collapsing. Which you know happens. Um, put them in the fridge for a couple of hours. They will be much easier to slice, and they go sort of um. They, they get a bit more of a fudgy consistency. It's very nice.
0: Um, so I, I quite like, I quite often put them in the fridge. Excellent. Top tips. Second food moment is your Sunday Blondies. Now, here we are going off on a tangent with your brownie your, your <laughs> recipes. I mean, you know, we'll go into the cocktail in a minute for your third food moment. But go into the sun, Sunday Blondie. It's in, inspired by an apple crumble
1: it is inspired by an apple crumble so it's a blondie so it's got white chocolate in um but it's also got little chunks of apple it's got bird's custard powder um in in the mix um which is a great ingredient to use in cakes by the way um and then a sort of crumble topping um and i like this one this has got got sort of sentimental value for me really my um my mum used to work on sundays when i was a kid so sundays were always a very boring day um You know, we didn't sort of do the whole, uh, you know, Sunday roast at lunchtime, pub, stately home, nice walk. We didn't really do that. We all just sort of hung about till my mum got back and then we had dinner. Um, So the days when my mum didn't work and she made, you know, a lovely roast and apple crumble was was her dessert were quite special, actually. So that's sort of um, how how that one came about. And I still really value Sundays, you know, that that slow pottering around the kitchen on a Sunday
0: is a particular pleasure, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it it feels fantastically sort of... British as well. I'm just going back to that yes. question about, you know, how do you sell a cookbook? I mean, of course, brownies are a, a, an American invention. and But this does feel quite British. You've got a lot of British uh, ingredients and a lot of British rituals as well in it. A lot of British yes. habits. When you're going to your publisher and you're pitching it, do you pitch it as an international book or is it pretty much for the British market?
1: Interestingly, uh, British primarily, but they've always got that eye on overseas territories, as, as you know, I can only talk from my publisher and, and my experience. But um so this one, I think is, you know, going to uh, be published in America in um, April, which I think will be very interesting to see how that does yeah. there. Um, um, my last book, I think, was published. was was called Made in London. It was a London cookbook, which was published in the UK. But they did also do a German edition, which is quite interesting, I suppose, for the same reason that we might buy a book about, you know, cooking
0: in Istanbul. Yeah. Well, the Americans also really love to have an eye on British habits and behavior. Exactly.
1: Yes, but if you ca- if you do have an angle that will work overseas as well, I think that does does adds add, add a little something to your proposal. Yeah, so
0: super British it We'll
1: <laughs> Make it so British <laughs> that the
0: Americans will buy it. How? likely is is Instagram to be absolutely flooded with your most beautiful brownies. Give us one absolute killer Instagram favourite from your book.
1: Yes, it would have to be uh, the suitably child I think I've got it ready for Instagram brownie or something. It's it's interesting, isn't it? I think food always has to taste delicious, but increasingly in the world of food, it also has to look very good and look very good on social media, which is a whole new way of looking at um, recipe creation, I think, that, you know, maybe we didn't have to do so much before. It's sort of rippled with pistachios um, and, and rose petals. Um, so it's got a sort of pink and green uh, uh, sort of hue Um and yeah, I think it, I think it's
0: quite nice. Your third food moment is the brownie mudslide cocktail. I mean, this has actually a part we want, I do want to talk to you about your job as editor of the Waitrose magazine. Um, you're all about coming up with ideas. I mean, how much of this book is inspired by your daily job of just constantly mashing up ideas and coming up pulling new stuff out of the bag.
1: Uh, writing cookbooks and working on food magazines have a really nice intersection I remember when I did my first one I kind of thought oh god this might distract me you know um from the job a bit or something and it really didn't and actually weirdly some of the things I often went into work and said things like oh you know when I was researching my cookbook at the weekend actually I ate this really good dish in this restaurant and we should do that um so the two have a kind of natural synergy um but yeah it is you know part of the challenge on food magazines and in cookbooks is it's always coming up with that new twist that new thing that will inspire people yet yet be accessible I mean the, the, the big cliche on food journalists, I think, is that around summer, we start planning Christmas and we will sit there in a big room and everyone just looks at each other in despair. And we say, what are we going to do this year? How can we possibly make it different? Um, because not, not, but not too different, because people sometimes don't want too different. Not for well, except that
0: the trends are always changing. And, you know, as editor of Waitrose, you are in a position of dealing with Ethics, um, you know, Waitrose is probably the most ethical of supermarkets. It certainly brands itself that way with the Waitrose Foundation. Yes. Um, so, you know, when you're writing about chocolate, for example, you you Do more pub quiz facts. Thank you very much. I'll nick those. You know, the uh, scientists argue that milk chocolate's fat to sugar ratio is similar to breast milk. That's in. Uh, Chocolate is the only food that melts (laughs) at around body temperature. That's in. But you also paint this picture of how hard the farmers have to harvest these rugby ball-sized pods by hand, split them open to reveal 60 cacao beans, each wrapped in a fibrous white pot. There's a lot of work to be done. You don't mm. underline it. You don't put it in bold. You don't, you know, hammer us over the the head with the ethics there. But it's, for me, it's quite plain to see that you're saying that chocolate is a very valuable uh, commodity and don't take it too lightly. Mm-hmm. When you're writing about these things, how, how do you strike that balance by giving us enough information to make us make good choices all the time um, and, and being light enough to be able to communicate that well
1: it is it is a challenge i think we always try not to preach um i think we both on um, waitress food magazine and um you know (laughs) writing for cookbooks you're you're speaking to an intelligent audience generally um so we try not to preach we just and we try and tell good stories i think it comes back to what i was saying about stories it's um it's interesting people in the facts about you know the farming how long it takes to harvest uh you know a cocoa bean or, or whatever it might be um you know develop a new tomato variety it, it's finding those little details those little human details often actually actually um that will really um appeal to people um yeah th- so it, it's a challenge but um it's something we, we really
0: enjoy doing actually yeah i mean it's quite interesting isn't it Is, do you find that fun uh kind of c- keeping up with the trends being a thought leader making people think twice and change their minds about their behavior
1: I think it's a real privileged position to be in to be working at magazines and books um you know I often think things like food waste, you know waitress are obviously doing great strides in kind of um the operational side of things you know they're figuring out how to you know use less fuel um how to make better packaging, but when you work on the magazine you're you're kind of at the forefront of people in their homes you know that's that's your your job there to be like to to inspire them how to use that that sobby cabbage head and going off banana um so it's a slightly different challenge for us um but, but it's, it's a really good one and we try and be fun that's actually often we discuss this at work you know the, the sustainability stuff is really important but you don't want to again you don't want to be dry or preachy you have to engage people
0: and how engaged do you think people are now um as opposed to say pre-lockdown let's say you know two years ago do you find the letters are different now are people expressing their feelings about sustainability differently now
1: I think so. I mean, I think the Waitrose um, reader, just to give an example, or customer has always been quite environmentally minded. Actually, that's something that's come up for a long time when you survey them about what they care about. Things like sustainability, animal welfare, they come up quite highly. Um, but it does seem to be more, um, more and more important to people. Um, and we do our letters are actually a sort of fascinating window. We get a lot of them. You know, we had one the other day from a lady who um, loved jacket potatoes, but she lived by herself and she never wanted to turn the oven on and waste the energy on making a single jacket potato. But we ran, you know, this little recipe feature and we said, you know, you can cook, you know, four or five at a time and then reheat them. And this had never occurred to her before, but she was so pleased. Like, it's such a
0: small thing, but, you know, it made a difference. And that, that's that's a really nice thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But of course, the greatest thing about magazines is is the pictures, isn't it? And constantly <laughs> sort of inspiring people to, to cook with their eyes. And your fourth food moment is your illustrated cake it's not even in the book no I've gone I've gone I've gone off piste (laughs) yes it's one of your proudest achievements for working in the magazine tell us about that well
1: um so when lockdown hit um in 2020 you know if you worked in a magazine it was uh, I mean obviously much worse to be working in some other lines of work but it was quite tricky for a magazine because we um you know photo shoots weren't happening we were out of the office we couldn't use our lovely test kitchen where we usually test all the recipes to make them perfect um so we kind of had to put our heads together and think about can, can we produce a magazine right now um And waitresses were very keen to do it because, uh, you know, they wanted something, you know, in in this time of being stuck at home, magazines were quite inspiring, they were quite comforting, they were a very nice thing to have. So we sort of put our heads together and the team came up with the idea of doing a fully illustrated issue, um, which was very hard work, perhaps more more hard work than I had actually realised when we were discussing it so enthusiastically, you know... um, food photography is hard too, but if you imagine illustrating every single recipe in a, in a magazine, it's incredibly hard work. A lot of going backwards and forwards about, oh, the shape of that pineapple leaf isn't quite right, or the chicken, you know, it's, it's, it's um, a lot of work. Um, but we did it. It came together. It had a beautiful illustrated cake on the front um, by the artist Charlie Michese. Um and we did a little competition inside where we raffled off all the artworks that were created for the magazine um and gave the money to the trussell trust which is a food bank charity waitress does a lot with um and we just we got such lovely reader feedback from it people genuinely found it quite i think quite uplifting um so i was very proud of that i think it was a yeah a good a good reaction to a a really strange stressful horrible time for for so many people yeah how
0: wonderful are you back in the office now
1: uh, just starting to drift back now. So um, it'll be very nice to go and try all the food again, as that's the thing I think we've missed most being, being stuck at home, yeah. not, not trying the lovely uh, the food in the test kitchen.
0: And how does it feel? I mean, it, it's, it's almost like a reset, isn't it? So, you know, coming back after all this time, new ideas, new trends, new thought leading... What's the most important thing to say to everybody looking for your leadership right now?
1: Well, I think at the moment we're kind of focused on, um, you know, as we've discussed, I think sustainability, animal welfare, I think sort of spreading those issues um, through the magazine more and more are, are what we're, we're looking at primarily right now. Um, but also we're kind of continually evolving and adjusting recipes to, you know, whatever the normal is at the time. One of the things we've started doing quite recently is doing recipes for one, which sort of started in the pandemic a bit because you had a lot of single people um, trapped at home. But actually, there are an awful lot of people who live by themselves as well. And I think the standard recipe format is feeds four, you know, even if you're a couple, it can be slightly annoying, always having to two um, your recipes. Yeah, what about
0: health? I'm just thinking about, you know, one of the things that we really learned about in lockdown is, you know, how important it is to really feed ourselves well, you know, if you are living in an endemic, which means forever, um, you know, how important is it to weave really, Healthy recipes through our everyday experience
1: yeah i mean that's something on the magazine we are increasingly looking at we do um we kind of have a good health logo that we put on a lot of recipes um, our weeknight recipes always have a certain number of those um every uh, month but yes i think i think the pandemic made us all look at food more closely in every aspect health was one of them also just uh, enjoyment was another one you know i think that's why kind of sales of things like barbecues went through the roof you know and then home smokers and um whatever else it was, you know, because I think every aspect of food we suddenly had time for to think about. Yeah. And now we're all bakers. Yes, exactly. Now we've now we all know how to do sourdough. So <laughs> And brownies. <laughs> and brownies. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Food FM, the online radio station and global podcast platform which aims to change the world through food. Do get in touch on social media. I'm at Cooking the Books with Julie Smith on Instagram and at Julie Smith on Twitter. And do sign up for my newsletter at jillysmith.com to find out about the Cooking the Books Supper Club at my house. And I'll be back tomorrow with the first in a special bonus episode to kick off a series with the Andre Simon Awards in which we'll meet the shortlisted authors for this year prestigious prize.